scripture reading this morning is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 all the way to the end of the chapter. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, you say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised uh, the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Morning, church. It's uh, good to be with you. And... uh... I will remind JK again that uh, I do the preaching roster and any really difficult questions could accidentally end up next to your name. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Well, uh, today, uh, and you may have already picked this up as JK read uh, the passage and it's it's in the heading there, But today, we are actually talking about sexual immorality. And that is a tricky topic, and I'm I'm aware that there are uh, young people here in this room, and so uh, why not not just kind of move on? Why do we have to do this in church? And someone actually asked me that, and I I congratulate them actually, because it's it's good to... uh, talk to the pastor and say, hey, what are you, what's going on here? Uh, and I thought about it quite a lot this week, actually, and, and I want to suggest two reasons why I think it's really important that we, we think together about uh, these verses in church. Uh, one's positive and one's negative, and really, in a way, they're a, they're a flip side, or two sides of one coin. Uh, and negatively, our world is awash, I think you would agree, with a completely different view of sex in just about every other way than what the Bible portrays. Uh, it's, it's everywhere, it's on our TVs, in our movies, on our billboards, in the schoolyard, and nothing I say will come even close to what is said in the schoolyard, uh, or what is shown now in the schoolyard. Sadly, the average age that young boys see pornography is about 12, that's an average. Uh, 
And so it's important for all of our sakes, and particularly if you're younger in the faith and you've never heard this before, never thought about it before, that you hear what God's Word has to say. Uh, otherwise, the message, all we will hear is, or all people will hear is, don't do this. And it will seem like God has just some unreasonable uh, and unworkable, killjoy kind of rules around sex and we won't have a clue why that is. And so the other side, the positive side of why this is important to do uh, is because there are wonderful truths in the Bible that explain God's view and design for sex uh, that help us to see more than just sex. It's, we help us to understand uh, the wonder of God's creation, how we relate to Him and how we relate to the world that He's created for us. And so there's more here than much more here, actually, than just thinking about sex. Uh, and it's my hope that today won't just be a, uh, this is the rule, <laughs> but actually will capture God's vision for human relationships and for sex. Uh, it's not going to be how bad is the world, how wrong is the world, but how good is God. That's, that's, that's my hope for today as we consider this topic. Now, as we get into this, uh, this section in 1 Corinthians, you'll notice that he doesn't actually start with the topic of sex. He's, he's addressing a particular issue there, which you probably picked up, right in the middle of the passage. Uh, some of the Corinthians had convinced themselves it was okay to go and sleep with prostitutes, which seems extraordinary. I said to you last week, if you think taking people to court, taking Christians to court is extraordinary, wait till next week, well, here we are. Uh, that's what they convinced themselves of, and we'll see why in a little bit, but that's what he's dealing with. But he starts with two general principles. And you'll notice that in these verses... Uh, there's some quotes, and, it, and it's, you say, I have the right to do anything, you say. Now, that little you say is actually not in the Greek, and if you go and look at the ESV, it's not in there either, and some of the other translations, the NIV, older NIV doesn't have it either. But I think it's correct that the NIV, this has put it in there to help us to understand what's going on, because I think this is something that the Corinthians were saying. I have the right to do anything. In fact, if you were to go to chapter 10, verse 13, you have almost verbatim the same thing as Paul addresses another issue that they're uh, dealing with, that is food sacrificed to idols. I think... Oh, well, let me just read these verses and I'll comment some more. Uh, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. That's Paul. I have the right to do anything but I will not be mastered by anything. The Corinthians, I would guess, although we're not told, have come to this view as a misunderstanding of the nature of grace. Paul will say in many places, I'm under grace, not under law. And they've taken that to mean I can do, I have the right to do whatever I want. I can live however I want. But rather than addressing that directly, he does in other places, if you go to Romans uh, chapter 5, 6 and 7 uh, in particular, even into Romans 8, he addresses the question of how the law and grace uh, work together, but here he doesn't actually contradict them on that. Rather, he adds two principles, two helpful principles that are actually really helpful for us because there are lots of places, aren't there, in life 
where there's not a particular rule where, in a sense, anything is permissible, where we get to decide how we live in that particular situation. Uh, lots of places. How, what do you eat? What do you drink? What do you wear? How do you spend your time and your money? What do you watch for entertainment? Like, we could just go on and on and on. There's a stack of little choices that we all make every day, and there's no particular law or uh, advice or anything in the, in the Bible that tells us what to do in that situation. And so here's some very helpful principles. Now, these will come to bear on, this, on the central issue of this passage, but let's just look at them for themselves. So everything might be, I might have the right to do anything, but is it beneficial? Is it good for me and those around me? Should I watch this TV program? Well, I have the right to, I could, but is it, is it helpful? How will it shape my mind? Will it actually help me relax and re-energise? Does it fit within the categories that Paul gives in Philippians 4 to think about what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy? So, is it beneficial for me? We could ask the same with, with food, couldn't we? Oh, is this is that actually going to help me or not? And so on. And then Paul has a second principle, I will not be mastered by anything, or to put it as a question, will this thing become my master? There are many things, aren't there, in the world that are actually addictive, and then there are things that are kind of, are kind of addictive, that is, we feel like we need to keep doing them or enjoying them or having them. And so, for example, reading is great, and everyone would say that reading is a great little pastime, but if you feel like Oh, I haven't, I haven't had any time to read today, and you start to feel terrible because of that, well, that would it's become your master. Exercise is great, uh, so I'm told. Um, but, but it can become your master. There are, there are people who are obsessed with, with exercising. Now, I, I think... One, one reason where we can really see the application of these two principles, is it beneficial, is, uh, it doesn't, it, will it master me, uh, is when it comes to our little phones, which are not really phones anymore, but there they are. And it's very difficult for us. We're actually in a very hard spot because these things have been very cleverly designed to be addictive. In fact, they're designed in such a way that they, you get little endorphin hits. That, that is the happy chemical, the, the chemical you get when you give someone a hug, uh, unless you're not a hugger, in which case maybe, I don't know what happens then, but anyway. Um, but you get the, the, this little happy chemical in your brain when someone replies to your post or likes your post, right? And so uh, the social media, social media is designed particularly, but not just social media, games and so on. Do you know, do you know that many of the principles involved in designing games on phones, the flashing lights and the colours and everything, are, are the same principles that are used to design poker machines to make them addictive. And so, you might have had the experience where you put your phone down and you, and you find yourself reaching for it to pick it up and, and you, you don't actually know why. Well, it's because you're not getting the endorphin hits anymore. 
and your subconscious is telling you to get some more. It's addictive. Is it permissible? There's nothing particularly right or wrong about lots of this stuff. But is it beneficial? Are you being mastered? Now, there's lots of other things, of course, and different people have different things and you might look at your phone for five minutes a day and actually make phone calls on it. I hear that's a thing. But there may be other things that you would easily be mastered by that aren't beneficial for you. And, and this goes, as I say, into area, area of life. There is no law about getting up and eating breakfast, but probably it's more beneficial if you did, and you won't be mastered by hunger later in the day and get hangry. Uh, could you go to bed any time you like? Of course you could. There's no law. You won't find a verse in the Bible about going to bed at a particular time. But what is beneficial to you? What masters you? See, these are the questions that we can ask all over our lives. They're very helpful, uh, not just in the area of sex. Well, Paul now moves on from that. He's going to apply, I'll, I'll show you how they relate to this, the question at hand right toward the end, but he now brings up another thing that they are saying. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. Now, this verse helps you understand, helps us understand, how it was that the Corinthians had got to the point where they were able to say, oh yes, as a Christian, it's fine to go to a prostitute. Uh, they were, Corinth was in Greek and, and the Greek thought at the time, and actually this way of thinking kind of persists to today in many places and, and, and different ways, was that the human body was spirit and, and physical. So the, the, you have the spiritual part of you, uh, which is the real you, uh, and, and is the good part of you, and uh, really uh, the body then is just a shell to hold your spirit, and the body is bad. Material, physical things are bad, what's called Greek dualism, and salvation then is to be released from the body and for the spirit to go up into the spiritual realm. And it seems that they'd kind of imported that way of thinking into Christianity and what they're saying here is, well, food is a physical thing. We eat it and it doesn't really matter what we eat. In, indeed, even from a Christian point of view, uh, after Christ, all the Old Testament food laws have, had gone. So they could eat anything they wanted. And the food goes into our bodies, it sits in our stomach, but in the end, our body and therefore food and everything will, will be done away with because they thought that heaven was spiritual. Now, Paul's going to have to correct that over in uh, chapter 15 and if you think about it, uh, Christ, when he was resurrected, came and ate with the disciples. So, they're wrong but what they're saying is, well, food's just a thing that we do, it doesn't matter what we eat, it doesn't matter what goes into our stomach, it's just part of our physical body which is going to go away anyway. Now, they go from that to sex and they make a similar argument. Well, it's just my body. What does it matter what I do with it? It's going away anyway. I mean, in the end, I'm, I'm my spirit. Uh, it's just something you do, it's just a natural, normal part of life, it's kind of fun. Uh, what does it matter? So, it doesn't matter if we sleep with a prostitute. 
It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that more or less, I mean, they don't necessarily talk about spirit and body and so on, but isn't that more or less how our world views sex? It's just, it's just something you do. I mean, it's just like eating or sleeping or, you know, it's just something you do with your body. Why are you guys so uptight? Why do you Christians care what I do with my body, who I sleep with? You're like like an aggressive vegan who keeps wagging their finger at people and telling them not to eat meat. You know how painful those people are. Sorry, um, anyone who's... Anyway. Uh, that's what... I, that's how people see us. Why, you, why do you care? It's just a body. What do, it doesn't matter. Well, that's what the Corinthians more or less thought. Ah, convenient argument, you might say, but a sincerely held belief. Well, how does Paul respond to that? Well, he's already set up some principles, he's going to come back to those. But notice what he doesn't do. What you won't find in these verses anywhere, actually, is a reference back to the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. He could. Uh, the understanding of that command is in the background, but actually he doesn't... He, he could have... I mean, Paul, you could have just done this in one verse. Don't sleep with a prostitute. It's, you know, is it seventh or eighth? I can't remember, but whatever, whichever one it is. Don't do it. And he, but he doesn't do that. He, he takes all this time, to, as we'll see, to show them a different way. And I think that's because he wants them not to just know that it is wrong, but to desire to do what is right to desire God's way, not to, to, so that the desire to live for Christ outweighs their desire for sexual uh, fulfilment in that sense. And, and so Paul has to show them God's way, God's view of sex, and that's what he does. Now he starts in the second half of verse 13, we're going to follow the logic through here, and it, it's quite, le quite tightly argued, so we'll do our best. Second half of verse 13, uh, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. This becomes the theme of these verses. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And he, he addresses first the first one, the, the body is for the Lord, and then he addresses further down, uh, the Lord is for the body. What, what does that mean? Well, in verse 14, he says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise you also. In other words, he's, he's getting at this view that the body is just going to disappear so it doesn't matter. No, no, the body does matter because the Lord is going to raise your body. You will, your body is going to keep on going. Now, it's not this body, thank, thankfully, I, I'm... Like me, I'm sure many of you are hoping for a slight upgrade. Just, you know, just, just a slight, kind of, or a, a bit of a fix-up. So it's not this body, and yet there's a connection between this body and the eternal body. But Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, and he has to use an image because it's hard to get our heads around. He, he uses the image of a seed being planted in the ground and, and the plant that grows from it. The, the body is sown uh, imp uh, perishable and it is raised imperishable. So he, he talks about it that way. But there is some sort of connection. Nevertheless, the point that he's making here is God actually cares about our bodies. We're not just spirit. 
we're spirit and body, we're, we're, we're a whole, you can't separate them out. We're not made as merely a spirit and we're not redeemed as merely a spirit, we are, the whole of us is made and redeemed. So that's the first principle to argue against them. Our bodies are significant, they are eternal, they do matter. And then he says in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So not only is our body significant and, and is being redeemed and, and, and eternal in some sense, but it, our bodies, not just then, but now, are, are members, part of Christ. And then in verse 17, he says something similar, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now, don't, don't sort of look at that and go, oh, so it's, it is only spiritual. No, no, in Paul's mind, if the spirit is connected to Christ, the body is connected to Christ, they're, they're together. Now, what's really important in that verse 17 is the word united. Because Paul is arguing, and you see it there uh, in verse 16, Paul is arguing... Well, he's using the image of what happens between a man and a woman. A father shall leave, uh, sorry, a, a husband shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's from Genesis chapter 2. The two shall become one flesh, and the, then you are united to your wife. In other words, the, the, the sexual act unites you in some sense, to your wife. The, the promises that you make to one another when you are married connect you, but, the, but sex itself unites you so that you become one. And Paul is saying that is an image of what Christ does with the church. Christ is not having sex with the church, obviously, but the uniting aspect is what Christ does with his church. That's what he's saying. Just as two people, when they have sex, are united, even if that person is a prostitute, so Christ is united to his body. So we are members of his body. <laughs> Paul says in Ephesians 5, where he says this, essentially the same thing, this is a profound mystery. Yes, yes it is. It is a profound mystery. We do not understand exactly what that is means, but we accept that it is true, the joining of a husband and wife physically pictures the union of Christ and his church. Now, if you hear that and it disturbs you, you think, oh, you can't, you can't compare Christ's union with the church with sex, sex is kind of, ugh, like that, like it's bad or something then actually the problem isn't the Bible or me, the problem is your view of sex. God says this. God says, you know what I want to picture the union of my son with his bride, the church? Sex. That's what I want. <laughs> I designed it. I made it. I planned it. None of this is an accident. This is mine. This is why uh, in, well, 
1 Timothy 2, uh, where Paul addresses uh, some stuff around sex as well, he, he talks about sex being uh, something that you can receive with thanksgiving. That is, you can pray about it and thank God for it. it it's obviously a good thing. Now, can sex be misused and degraded? Of course it can. And in a, in a way, because it is such a powerful thing in the lives of people, when it is degraded, it is, goes powerfully wrong, if you like. But we ought to let God's view of sex shape our view of sex, not the world's view of sex and the world's misuse of sex to shape our view of sex. Now, once, once you've understood that our bodies matter, they're part of Christ, and, and sex joins us to another person and that pictures the joining of us with Christ, you can understand why what he says in the rest of verse 15. Shall I, shall I take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? What's the problem? Well, when you, unite, when you have sex with a prostitute, you unite yourself to her, but you are taking a member of Christ, a part of Christ, and you are uniting that to a prostitute. Now, if you're thinking ahead, <laughs> you might say to yourself, hang on a minute, what does that mean for marriage? Well, we're going to be looking at chapter 7 next week, and I think there's an answer in there. I'm not going to tell you what that is right now. I encourage you to go and read chapter 7 later on today. Not now. Not now. Uh, otherwise, you can just wait. But here's the core of it. Your body, not just your spirit, your body belongs to the Lord, it is part of Him, you are united to Him, it is for Him, and you have no right to take what belongs to Christ and misuse it sexually. Or in other ways, as we'll see in just a moment. God is pro-sex, He designed it to unite a husband and wife that are already promised to one another, it, it works to bind them and unite them, but our bodies belong to the Lord, he has an interest in how we use our bodies when it comes to sex and he wants us to follow his good design. He wants us to picture the faithfulness of Christ to his church in our faithfulness to our husband or wife. Now, it's not perhaps, given what we've said, it's perhaps not surprising that in verse 18, Paul says, uh, to flee sexual immorality. Uh, there are sins in the Bible which we're told to avoid. Avoid, Paul says at one point, foolish controversies. Other times we're told to resist sin. Here we're told to flee sin. And that's probably because sexual temptation for some of us, perhaps not all of us, but some of us, uh, is very strong. And as Paul has said, we will not be mastered by anything. Uh, messing around with sexual temptation is like playing soccer on the side of the highway. Eventually, someone is going to get hurt. 
it's not surprising then that when Jesus talks about lust, he says something similar. He talks there about taking drastic action to avoid lust. He talks about gouging out the eye and cutting off the hand, which he doesn't mean literally, but you understand he's saying take drastic steps to avoid sexual temptation. And so uh, we ought to do the same if that is a thing for us. Get rid of Netflix, put internet um, blockers and so on on your computer and phone and what, what have you. Don't be alone with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Have someone that you're accountable to and so on. Take, take deliberate steps to deal with sexual temptation, says Paul. Why? Verse 18, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, uh, unfortunately, Paul doesn't elaborate uh, on what precisely he means by that. We have to uh, accept that it's true. I think uh, perhaps what's interesting is that in recent study on the brain, uh, they've actually, and brain chemistry, they've discovered that uh, when you have sex with someone, chemicals are released in your brain that actually bond you in some real way, doing stuff in your brain, bond you to the person that you are with. Now, that's wonderful, that's a, that's a, that's a surprising and, and awesome part of God's design of our physical bodies in line with what He's told us to do. And in a sense, that kind of shouldn't surprise us that we would discover that. But what is the result if you go and sleep with multiple people? Well, you, you kind of glue yourself to them and then you rip yourself away and you glue yourself to someone new and you rip yourself away. And so like when you glue two pieces of paper or card or something together and then you rip them apart, there's, you, they don't come apart unless like it's the sort of glue that you get at school, in which case they just, you, there's no damage at all. But in, with, if it's actual glue, then you pull it apart and there's, like, there's damage done to both, both pieces. And, and so it is. Is that what Paul's talking about? Obviously he doesn't know that. But it could be that he's saying more by the Spirit than he, he realises. Or maybe he's just experienced, he's witnessed the damage done to people uh, through uh, that sort of sexual encounter. And so he's, he, he just tells it and then now we've kind of seen the mechanism for that. I'm not sure. Nevertheless, uh, sexual sin actually damages you. You sin again, you damage your own body. Now... That would be enough, in a sense, where we don't want to damage ourselves, but he has a greater reason why that should be avoided, verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Why? Do we need to be careful not to damage ourselves? Because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The body for the Lord, we are united to Christ. The Lord for the body, we are indwelt by God. Now, I mean, that's, I, I really think that's an incredible phrase. The Lord for your body. The body, your body. That is, in some very real sense, this is 
the temple, the dwelling place of God. Now, obviously, like the real temple, all of God does not dwell in me, but His presence dwells in me, in you, if you're a follower of Christ, in your body, your body. That's what He's saying. Your body is a temple of God. It is His dwelling place. Now, (laughs) I said the Queen this morning. Someone pointed out to me the Queen was dead. I said, maybe the Dutch queen? I'm not sure. Anyway, but if the king, let's, if the king or some other person that you respect, I don't know who that would be for you, a pop star, a famous preacher, a sports hero, I don't know, whatever, uh, someone who you absolutely look up to and kind of idolize, if they said to you, I'm coming to your house, you know what you would do. You would immediately start cleaning. Don't deny it. I don't, I don't care how clean your house is. You would immediately start cleaning and you would, all the little jobs that hadn't been done for the last three years would suddenly get completed. Uh, you would go out and buy new lounges, you know, whatever. You would, you would make that house ready for that person to come. Now, that, in a way, that's partly human nature. We want to impress people. But it's also because you want them to, to have a, a good time in your home. You want it to be good for them. Well, God is in us. He's in you. He's dwelling in you. You, your person, is the temple of God. And if there is a way of damaging that temple, sexual sin, then obviously we want to avoid it. But that's not all we would want to avoid, is it? Because there's other ways to neglect or damage our body, to not look after this temple, sleep and food and exercise and other things like that. I mean, we don't all have to be supermodels. Some of us are well past that anyway. (laughs) I wasn't thinking of you, Joyce. I mean, (laughs) I was thinking of JK too. That's all right. Nevertheless, as dwelling, as the dwelling place of God, we ought to not neglect, we ought to not, we ought to take care, I should say, of our body. Now, maybe you didn't realize this, and that's okay, well, now you know. Or maybe you've fallen into some habit, not necessarily sinful, but a way of life that's not beneficial for you, not for your, for caring for yourself as well as you can. I mean, obviously, sickness and so on as well. But well, there's things that have mastered you and you've stopped taking care of the temple of God. Now, Paul wants to really let us know how important this is. And I don't think you could put it more strikingly than he does here. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Not just honour God with your minds, that's important, but honour God with your body. It's so, this is so different, isn't it? To the way we normally think. It's my life. It's my body I get to choose what I want to do, who I, how I spend my time, what I eat, who I sleep with, and whatever else. 
No. You are Christ's. You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And what a price. His body battered, pierced, nailed to the cross. The wrath of God poured out for all our sins on him, abandoned by the Father. That, that's the price. The price was horrific, but also complete. You'll notice what Paul does not do here. You sleep with a prostitute, you're done on your bike. He doesn't say that. No, he says, guys, that's, that's not what Jesus wants for you. You were bought at a price. Live for him. And they still can. It's not like sexual sin disqualifies you. It didn't here and it doesn't now. Because Christ's price that he paid for us was all encompassing. You were bought at a price. You don't belong to yourself anymore if you are in Christ. You're His. And so what else would we want to do than honour Him, glorify Him with our bodies, with our very selves? And so we ask, is this beneficial? Does this help me to honour Christ? And help others honour Christ? Will this lead to me being mastered or will I continue to follow my true master who bought me at a price? Am I willing to take whatever actions I need to do to avoid sexual temptation and sin and other things because I am not my own? I was bought at a price and I want to honour Christ with my body, with my whole self. Let's pray. Now, Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful way that you have designed us, that you have made us people who relate and, and can connect people, even at the incredibly deep and intimate level of sex. We thank you that that actually pictures for us how deep a relationship you want with us. We thank you that in your grace and your mercy you, you dwell in us. Father, help us to remember that we are yours. And you care what we do with our bodies, ourselves, because we belong to you. Help us to honour you with our whole selves. And Father, where we have not, we thank you that there is forgiveness and grace. And we, we, we thank you and, and praise you that we can always come back to Christ and find renewal and so we ask, help us to think about what is beneficial, what will master us, and so live in a way that honours you in every single area of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.